Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. And today I'm delighted to say we have James Carey back on the podcast. James, uh, you may remember, was the author of Amongst Tale. We also talked to him uh, at our, one of our General Synod podcasts uh, a year or two ago. And we're delighted to have him back talking about his latest venture. Uh, so it's very exciting to have mm. what I think we could almost call a regular guest <laughs> on our podcast. We don't have many people come back uh, on the podcast uh, other than Lee Gatiss because I make him. Um, but you have been on the podcast uh, at least uh, twice before, I think, James Carey. Hello. And uh, we're excited to have you back again this time because uh, you have got a new play which is touring the country and taking it by storm no doubt uh, tell us what it is and what it's about so thank you very much for having me um again my play is called a turbulent priest and as you can probably guess therefore it is about the murder of thomas beckett uh, because the the famous line famous ish line is henry ii says who will rid me of this turbulent priest and then four knights go out and murder Thomas Beckett. And so next year, 2020, will be the 850th anniversary of the murder of Thomas Beckett. And I would, I've always been slightly interested in the story. And I thought I'd like to dig around and find out more. And it's, it's a really interesting story. And, and, and actually, it's something that I thought would make a good play. Um, in 2017, I can't remember, I might have talked about it on this podcast, we did... I did a show called Amongst Tale, which is about Martin Luther uh, and the Reformation. Um, and it's just one of those things where I think Christians need to, especially now, be much more aware of their history and where we've come from. And um, it's because these are testing times to be a Christian, um, as Christendom is or arguably has already crumbled. Um it would, it, it would be that it, it would be useful just to look back and see where we've been before. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, so that, that's kind of why I do like digging around in history. And so right. that's, that's what the play is roughly about. So uh, we'll talk maybe more about that in a moment, about the, the value of church history. But so my first question, which I know is the one everybody will be wanting to ask is, where does the A come from? So you introduce this as a, a play that is about Thomas Beckett. It's almost impossible to say Thomas Beckett rather than Thomas a Beckett. Yeah. Where yes. does that A come from? Nobody... No one's ever put an A randomly in my name. No, Ros A. Clark. No. no. Um, I don't. I don't know. And actually, the book I read on uh, the, the the thick book I read uh, by John Guy. Uh, sort of bats it away very quickly and just continually refers to him as Thomas Beckett. The uh, Beckett, I think, is is an invention and addition much later. Um, we do have a joke about it where uh, the where King Henry II uh, talks about Thomas and he, he can't remember his name because he's just negotiated this peace thing and he just says, I'd like to thank Thomas uh, Beckett. He's a really good person. Oh, uh, yeah, nice. Maybe that's it. So, Maybe it's just a... Yes, so we pin it to a, a kingly stutter uh, at that moment. <laughs> But when I, I was an undergraduate, I um, at my college, there were, I don't know, five or six of us who were studying uh, physics and I was the only woman. And so my tutor used to always call me Miss Clark, but all the male students were Mr. Uh, uh, 
you know, he just never learned anyone's name. <laughs> but because I was quite distinctive, yeah. he, he did learn my name. Well, so there I, we go. I would buy that as a yeah, absolutely. As a, <laughs> an explanation. So it's good to say it. So we're going to properly call him Thomas Beckett. He's Thomas Beckett. He was, he was just an English person. It was just like a normal name and surname. Was... Yes, he was actually technically Norman. So there is a yes. uh, his his roots are Norman, and he might be linked to uh, Beck B E C. Okay. Uh, in, in so it might be Beckett. Well, I don't think it it's could quite... be quite hyacinth. Well, no, yeah. Again, so his dad uh, Gilbert and mother Matilda. Everyone was called Matilda then, and we got jokes about that as well. Um, yeah. So he was brought up in London. He was called Thomas because he was born on St. Thomas the Apostle's Saint, Saint's Day, uh, oh, which nice. I think is about 22nd of December or something like that. And actually, we have Thomas the Apostle uh, as one of the characters in the show. So the show opens with St. George of England and St. Thomas the Apostle yeah. having, having a chat as if at the top of Mount Olympus, if you see what I mean, like in those... Greek yes. epic movies. Kind of looking down looking on those down, yes. lowly humans, yeah, um, arranging their affairs. Yes, exactly. So, um, and I know that I'm Protestant and saints aren't a thing, so uh, we do acknowledge that as well. But they're a very useful storytelling device because, and, and one of the things I was interested in was how after Thomas Beckett dies, spoilers, the, um, I mean, he's, he's obviously dead by now. 850 years, years ago, later, I think. Yeah, we can safely say there was, dead. Yes, there was no Lazarus moment for him or either. That, um, that very soon afterwards, he became a saint, very like in record time. But very soon after that, he almost became the patron saint of England. As wow. in, ev- everybody was much more interested in Thomas Beckett. I think there was a there's a picture of some battle in England where uh, instead of being looked down on by St. George, there is a painting of Thomas Beckett looking down as if he is the painting saint. He was called Lex Londonarium or something, which is like the light of London. Um, and so he he developed and we shouldn't be surprised at this because his his cult again, which as a Protestant, I would not uh, necessarily endorse his cult in Canterbury Cathedral was an absolutely mega million dollar industry. Yeah. And let's not forget that the original first great work in the English language, Canterbury Tales, why are they going to Canterbury? Yeah. Because it's for Thomas Beckett's uh, shrine. And so that was, for those of us who are are slightly struggling with maths and history combo, Mm -hmm. Canterbury Tales can't have been written that much later than the actual events of Thomas's It's a fair you've got a, you've got a, you've got a clear 150 year sort of yeah, gap. Yeah, but 150 but yes. years is not Yeah. you know, for something that, yeah, it's not a huge No, exactly. But it, span it became for quite big to have built quite, up into yes. this big be- thing that everybody would know about and yeah. understand why they were going and So it became whatever. quite big quite fast and uh, to the point where Europeans were coming over and there is a, a tale of the the king of France has a sick son and wants to come over to pray at the shrine of Thomas Beckett. And that's why I think another King Henry, maybe Henry III, massively improves Dover Castle because the King of France is coming. Uh. Um, or it might be Deal Castle. I can't remember one of the two. It's, um, but to show off. To show off because foreign kings would come to see the, the shrine of Thomas Beckett. And so, it's very convenient, isn't it? Because it's in Canterbury, which if you're coming from Europe, yeah. is quite close. Yeah. You've not, you know, it's quite easy to get to on a yeah. day trip from 
Calais to Dover. Yes, yes, probably a bit longer than a day, but yeah, not not far off. This the hovercraft wasn't working by then. Uh, in fact, I think it stopped working now, hasn't it? I think they've they've stopped that. That's true. Um, That's true. But, but yeah, it it was quite convenient. So it it was quite a big deal, and the uh, yes, not, pun not intended. Um, oh, <laughs> deal Castle, but. Yeah, so it, he clearly had a lot of significance. And in one sense, he was then rather forgotten because another King Henry decided that he wanted to flex his muscles over the Church of England. And another guy called Thomas, this time called Thomas More, refused uh, to, to bow the knee. And he also met a, met a sticky end. But Henry VIII therefore had to completely erase Thomas Becket from history because England's favourite saint represented sort of uh, the papal power and the fact that the church is bigger than the state. And yes. uh, so so it is interesting how history almost literally repeats itself and doesn't even change the names. Uh, so yes. that Henry, Henry, King Henry has... has... Well, it's, it's, the, um, it's the Blackadder school of history, isn't it? You just yeah. get the same people in the yeah. same positions yeah. at, at every stage of history, yes, more or exactly. less, and, yes. and with the same name. Yeah. And it's also... so. Uh, I've not done copious amounts of research uh, on Thomas Beckett for this, but I, I did do a little bit and enough to um, find out that I was completely wrong. Um, I thought who will rid me of this turbulent priest was Shakespeare because everything is Shakespeare. Oh, OK, it's, it's a good but guess. But it's, it's not Shakespeare, is it? And I, I wonder if that's partly because of what you've just said, that Shakespeare coming quite soon after the events of the Reformation yeah. actually would have a a different political sort of sphere in in which this story of Thomas Beckett might not play out yeah. quite so well. So anyway, tell us where that does come from. Because again, I think it's quite not that long after the, the actual yeah. events, is uh, it? Uh, yes. Off the top of my head, I can't quite remember. Okay. But what I do know is that there are at least seven or eight accounts of the life and death of Thomas Beckett written within within 10 to 20 years, uh, including Which by his... Which is extraordinary, mm. because we're sort of, we're talking about the 12th century, is that yeah. right? No. There's not enormous amounts of literature in general yeah. being produced at that point. And what there is, is mostly sort of theological treaties and yes. and yeah. that, that kind of thing, or sort yeah. of legal documents. For people to be writing multiple accounts... Yeah of this story is quite extraordinary. Yeah, it is. And th there is something about him, which I have to say, once you start digging in, you do find rather appealing and, and charismatic. And so during his lifetime, mm -hmm. before the, the kind of exciting death incident, was he also sort of a well-known popular charismatic yeah, so, kind of leader so here here is the here is the rough story mm. of 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 beckett so it's um so he's born the son of a londoner who is originally from normandy a while back because every, you know a lot of people are from yeah. normandy because we were well it's only 100 years or so yeah yeah since exactly. 1066 yes it? exactly so, so um he his father was probably a middle class kind of guy who might have been a a, a sort of a London civic official of some sort in a way that sort of has no not quite a meaning now. I mean, alderman's uh, that sort of thing or a yeoman or that those sorts of things. Yeah. But he had a position, but was also a merchant, and he managed to get Beckett into 
uh, a decent school in Merton, and then he went to university in Paris. And then when he came back, he joined the household of Archbishop Theobald, who was Ooh. then the Archbishop of Canterbury. You don't get many Theobalds these days. Not so you? many, no. Uh, lots of Thomases, but not many Theobalds. And so he was um, worked his way up through the ranks there and became Archdeacon of Canterbury. And he was still only a deacon, so he wasn't actually a priest. He was a right. deacon. And then he... But what he did then was he helped negotiate a peace between Stephen and Henry the what would become Henry the Second because there was an anarchy civil war sort of thing going on, and then when Henry the Second became king, he wanted a right hand man chancellor and he sent for Thomas Becket, and so Becket then became Lord Chancellor, the most powerful man in England after the king. And so it is really interesting, isn't it? Because these days, you know, if we're um, having major political crises or, you know, mm. there's kind of we're, you know, in at war or, you know, whatever. Yeah. They they don't usually call for a vicar no. to come and sort that kind of stuff out, yeah. do they? They would really rather not, of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just the way that the church and the state were so much more closely aligned. Absolutely. Yes, at that in in a, in a in a good way, but also in a bad way. What was, um, what was the the good way? Well, the, the good way, way about it was the fact that that everybody understood that everything that the king did was, in some senses, theological. Right. So, because the there was a complete enmeshing of church and state, it just meant that the yeah that 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 the, the role of the church, the role the role of the king, was always framed in those sorts of terms. And okay. therefore, and that's one of the reasons why Henry II became unstuck is because he wanted entirely secular rule and he he wasn't able to have it uh, because uh, after a while, Thomas Becket was not only chancellor, but when the Archbishop of Canterbury, Theobald, died, uh, Henry II said, oh, Thomas, you could do that. You could be Archbishop of Canterbury as well. And so Becket didn't want to. He said no originally, and he said that's not a very good idea. And the people who technically vote for the Archbishop mm. of Canterbury, which was the monks at Canterbury, um, they didn't particularly want him either because he was almost entirely secular. Uh, he didn't yeah. he didn't speak Latin. That uh, we've got plenty. We've got some Latin jokes in the show, Ge and that was genuinely a problem. Yeah, he wasn't theologically curious, and so. It just felt like he really was being parachuted back into the church. But nonetheless, Thomas was loyal to Henry and, and did it anyway. And the, therefore, the day before he was consecrated as Archbishop of Canterbury, he was uh, priested. <laughs> because That's he, quite a career trajectory. Isn't yes, exactly. It? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So you're going from deacon, uh, so, archdeacon, I mean, priest, sort of, Archbishop what? of Canterbury. I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine the sort of contemporary equivalent. Is it I I've slightly lost track. Is it Philip Hammond? Is still our Chancellor of the Exchequer? Somebody I think like he is. that? At, at, yeah. At, at, so, at time of recording, yes. <laughs> so, you know, let's imagine that tomorrow he gets ordained. Yeah. And the day after he becomes the Archbishop of Canterbury. That, and still remains uh yes, so, so so Beckett is now both. the most senior clergy person in the country. Yeah. And also the most influential 
non-royal yes uh politician yeah. yeah in the country that's right yeah at so, the same time yeah and that and in a way that is henry ii's ideal plan because now he control he now he's best of friends with thomas beckett and the two of them got on extremely well uh beckett was slightly older than uh, than Henry so he's kind of also helped him to grow up a bit and show him mm. certain uh, ways of kingship and that kind of thing then they got on very well but they it was obvious I guess that Henry wanted Thomas to control both spheres and if he controls Thomas then he controls the church and the state right. but eventually Thomas didn't want to be archbishop uh, didn't want to be chancellor anymore. He wanted to be archbishop and do that job properly. Because I think one thing that Beckett does is whatever job he's given to do, he wants to do it really, really well. So he was a really good chancellor when he was chancellor. And then that was stopping him from being a really good archbishop. Yeah. So he stopped being chancellor. And he told Tom uh, Henry, King Henry, that he quit. And Henry didn't like that at all. He didn't consult him. He felt betrayed. And that's really the beginning of the end. Mm. So... Um, Henry wants money to fight wars against the King of France and he wants the church to pay money. And there's also an entirely separate legal system for the for the church so that if you were a priest or even actually something like a church warden, you could not be tried in the king's court. Right. Until you could only you be been tried in... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, and the ecclesiastical court might not hand you over to the king's court and they might say, we've punished him, that's the end of the matter. So you yeah. had a parallel legal system, which would be enraging if you were the king. Absolutely. Uh, and especially yeah. given that theoretically, therefore, one man in five was under holy orders, as it were, because and of because it went all the way down to, yeah, yeah. as it were, church warden type positions. And was there also a sense, obviously, this is one of the big things um, that comes out later in the Reformation. But even at this time, um, a sense of frustration at that being under foreign influence. Yeah. Um, because, you know, ultimately it's the Pope at that point. Yeah. That Thomas Beckett is the most important person in this country, but he has people senior over the, over him. Absolutely. So he so Henry hates the fact that Thomas answers to a higher power in Rome. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so there is a real downward spiral in their relationship. And there are four. I mean, we cover it in a in a mm. rap battle in the show yeah which is probably how it happened it probably is sort of how it happens so through i think it's there's a meeting in woodstock and then there's a meeting in uh westminster and then there's another meeting in clarendon and then there's a meeting in in northampton in a castle in northampton and it becomes obvious at that point that it deteriorates to the point where henry wants beckett tried for treason Mm. and so beckett legs it and escapes and goes to France. He goes to French France rather than English France, because don't forget Henry II yeah. was, owns quite a lot was, of France. Yes, was effectively king of at least half of what we would now call France. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, and that, and mm. so he's in exile for seven years, and eventually they kind of sort it out, and and, and Beckett returns to Canterbury, and then, um, but in the meantime, Beckett gets quite religious. Uh, which is uh, okay because that was a question I was going to ask: is what do we know about the actual faith yes. of any of these people? Um, we we would say that Beckett was averagely Christian up until the point where he became Archbishop, and at that point he really put his back into learning Latin, reading. Uh, he bought lots of books. He read lots of books. He tried to write to people so that they could be educated. He surrounded himself with educated people. 
that our, our show has a key relationship with a very bright scholar called John of Salisbury, who is a I mean, almost like an Erasmus sort of figure in terms of very mm. um, also likes the finer things in life. And nice. so not really suited to being a monk. Um, and so, so yeah, he really makes an effort. And in Pontigny, which is a, where he hides, which is a Cistercian abbey, he half starves himself. It's during Lent. You only eat vegetables once a day, and he would also stand in freezing cold rivers, and to the point where he would have hallucinations. And so, I mean, a lot of this sounds quite bonkers. Yeah, a lot of medieval Christianity sounds quite bonkers. Yeah. I mean, he's not the only person doing yeah. those kind of weird things as Mort- an expression of faith, mortifying the flesh. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and. So that might not be something we look to in our churches to see is somebody, you know, spiritually mature. Yeah, Have they learnt yeah. enough Latin and gone and stood in yeah. freezing rivers? I don't but recommend But actually these. in the context yeah. of his time, yeah. th- those might well be signs that, that indicate yeah. something going on in his heart. Absolutely, yeah. And that is, you know, mortifying the flesh was a thing. And actually, maybe some of us would do better if we did fast properly and... We're a bit yeah. more self-denying. Mortified and... more of our flesh. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so as I... far as we can tell, we think at this point he seems to have genuine faith. Yeah, there's no, I don't, because otherwise, unless unless he has a religious faith and a loyalty to the church, his actions just, just don't make any sense at all. Um, okay. And so I think he does. And, and then and then he, when he returns to Canterbury, there's a further, further falling out with the king. He is to some he is to some extent betrayed by the Archbishop of York, um, and there's a whispering campaign against him. And um, Beckett arguably naively excommunicates people that mm. he probably shouldn't do, including the Archbishop of York. That's not a good look. And nice. so, uh, so, but but equally, you say, well, he was prepared to take the consequences, and so when yeah. they came for him. And they say, we're going to take you to Winchester to answer for your crimes. He said, well, I'm, I'm not going to go because I don't answer to you. And when they sort of advance on him with stores, he just says, and they, you know, he says, well, if you're going to kill me, you're going to have to kill me here. And, and he really does sort of quote Jesus at the end of just like, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. You know, it's, it, is, it is kind of, and this is, this is attested by many people, eyewitnesses who were there who said how he basically just said, they're going to kill me and I'm, I'm okay with that because yeah. it's the right thing to do. Which, I mean, it's hard to see any greater expression of faith at that point if you're Absolutely. prepared to put your own life on the line. And, yeah. you know, by everything that we know about him, clearly he was an able politician. If he had wanted to get out of that, there's still a chance, he, you know... At, Various points on that, he could have found a way of sucking up to Henry, of you know, yeah, getting Um, an easier life, yeah, getting a life, and 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 he doesn't, he doesn't, yeah, and so yeah, and although therefore we wouldn't necessarily agree with lots of his uh, theology Mm. or or implicit theology because he was no, he was not a theologian, unlike Mm. you know Anselm or whoever his predecessor uh, fifty years earlier. he clearly does Christian stuff. And I, I wrote a little up, uh, piece on my blog, jamescary.co.uk, mm. where it's like, and I think it feels like, especially evangelical Protestants, we don't seem to have a lot of use for history 
pre-1517, um, our history sort of stops possibly around about Augustine. And then we've got a thousand years of... Before Luther, yeah. It went off the rails and went, yeah. you know, and they all went into saints and purgatory and stuff. And then we sort of start again. And you think, well, I, I kind of have a little bit of sympathy for that view. But actually, we, we do have stuff to learn from these lessons in history. And mm. what better advert for Christ than someone who ever flawed? Um, I, he wasn't, I don't think he was corrupt. Uh, lots of other people were. He um, wasn't someone who did stuff with boys that was not uncommon at the time yeah. or or girls uh, yeah. because he was um they did try to frame him uh with a lady and that they kind of put into his bedchamber and when they came in the next morning he was sleeping on the floor in the corner and she was sleeping in the bed and um so yeah there you therefore go. You, wonder, you wonder yeah. whether you know uh, modern clergy, yeah. how many would pass that test? Yes, well, exactly. But also then that therefore leads to the infuriatingly pointless speculation, oh, so was he gay then? Yes. Yeah, right, okay, because he wasn't fornicating like everybody else at the time. Gosh. Uh, so the Archbishop of York had an illegitimate son uh, yeah. and that was not uncommon. So Yeah, I mean, uh, that's quite striking, isn't it? How even 850 years ago... I think we think of this as a modern problem that everybody is so obsessed with sex that they mm. assume, yeah. you know, we must all be doing it yeah. in every possible way and every possible yeah. opportunity. And, and actually, even then, people plenty have of, that same... Plenty of priests who were yeah. cel celibate, in inverted commas, had, yeah. had female housekeepers. Um, and this was not yeah. an uncommon and practice. And families and, yeah. and all the rest of it. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And Beckett, Beckett didn't. He was because yeah. uh, I think he was like, oh, we we don't get to do all that. That's that's not okay, what I've signed then. up for. And actually, even as a deacon, he wasn't into into mm. doing that too. So he liked the nicer things in life. And we do do talk a little bit about the fact that at one point he sent for a plate of eels uh, from a market stall in Paris to be sent to London or to Canterbury, nice. which cost a hundred pounds, which was his annual income as archdeacon of Canterbury. Which was I mean, a, I think a that's lot quite a lot. Money. I think it's quite a lot for a plate of eels yeah. in modern money, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, let yeah. alone in yeah, uh, you can you can add money. you can add an add at least a couple of noughts to that in today's money. Yeah. So so I guess um so one thing that we've talked about that I think is really uh, interesting for our sort of particularly for our, our sort of evangelical um, mind is is just that reminder that right theology isn't a good indicator of true faith. So, yeah. There are plenty of people who are great theologians who we wouldn't see the same evidence of faith as we might see for someone like Thomas Beckett. Absolutely. Whose theology might have been wrong in lots of ways, but mm. nonetheless is willing to give everything yeah. uh, for his Lord. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned this as a, a sort of story that you've been interested in for, for quite a long time, but I just wonder whether there was anything particular about it that you think this is something that is useful for the contemporary church to think about. Oh, what, yeah. what are the sort of um, parallels that we might need to... Well, here we go. I mean, this is a time for the ages because this is a church with a prophetic voice standing up to the state. In, I mean, then it was the crown, uh, but now it's, now it's the all-encompassing, all-embracing mm. state. And we, we're going to have a pretty big fight at some point. 
uh, possibly in our lifetimes, with a with a state that is going to demand that certain Christ, that Christians do certain things, say certain things, uh, must celebrate certain things, and um, and mean it. And so uh, Becky, I think, shows us a little bit of the way on just to say, I'm not going to do that. And uh, if you're going to have to, if you're going to kill me, then you're going to kill me, and that's fine. Um, I don't think it's going to come to that in this country. In no, our but lifetime. there may be consequences. Yeah, there and will we be have points. to be willing to face up. To yeah, them. and there will be points um, where you cannot hold public office and believe yeah. certain things. Um, and I think the, the church needs that prophetic voice, uh, which is also why I have Thomas Beckett uh, played by a woman. Go so, on. Um, so Beckett is played currently by Anna Newcomb, who I've worked with on Amongst Tale and The God Particle. And I thought, firstly, it would be nice for there to be... It's a two-man show, but actually it's a one-man and one-woman show. Henry II is very much a man's man, and having that played by a woman would just be willfully... Um, weird willfully contrary which is not yeah. you know which I'm fine with but not on this particular occasion but actually Thomas Beckett represents the church and the church is female the church is she and um, the bride the, the bride, bride of Christ, Christ yeah uh, and so uh, so I thought that would be interesting to have and I'm and I'm really pleased with how that's worked out and when Anna can't do the play anymore um, I'm lining up another lady uh, to do the part because I think it works. Mm. Um, and Very interesting. Uh, so, yeah, and, and I don't think I've had anyone sort of push back on that. It just doesn't seem wrong or unnatural uh, to do that. And Very actually, I learned that in, in, in the Monk's Tale show, we had a guy and two girls. And the girls at one point, there was, you know, there was a sketch where, they, where the disciples are watching the Ascension and we've got the guy playing Peter, but one, but Anna, again, Anna Newcomb playing John, St. John the Apostle, uh, as it were. And, and it's like, oh, it's, it's fine. No yeah. one, no one cares. It's a play. Yeah. Um, they're acting. They're and acting. I think, you know, I mean, I guess it helps that there, there isn't really a romance in the play. It's not no. like they're kind of playing against gender in that sort of context. Yeah, exactly. Although it's weird that, um, it's only retrospectively I've realised there's a song in the show called, uh, which comes back a few times, called "We Are the Best of Friends," and mm. um, and it's it's a bit like a um, a Bing Crosby and Bob Hope song of nice. like, oh, we're off on the road to Morocco, and that, oh, hey, we're gonna have fun, you and me. And actually, if it was men singing it at each other in today's context, it would it would look homoerotic, weirdly. Right, um, in the um, kind of way that people see David and Jonathan's friends. Yeah, it's just like, well, ov be. obviously they must be. And it's like, yeah. no, really, that's not really you how male friendship works. Friends. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. So weirdly, it kind of works better with it being, that, with, with that not being in the back of anyone's mind. They're not thinking, uh, yeah. what is the friendship between these two people? Because it, it just wouldn't have, it just wouldn't have been that. And there's yeah. no, there's no yeah. question of that. So no. actually, that was an un, unexpected uh, benefit. Great. Uh, um, well, it, I mean, it sounds fascinating. I, as I said, didn't know a whole lot about uh, Thomas Beckett, but I am now certainly intrigued. Great. Um, and I hope lots of our listeners will be as well. Um, where can they find out about going to see the show? Great. Well, they can, if they go to aturbulentpriest.com, 
a turbulent priest.com not the turbulent priest a turbulent priest i will put a link put in a the link. blog post to and the then right if you place. click on so there's a little minute long trailer there as well of of the of the thing of the show uh, which was recorded when we did the show at word alive this year mm. and we have got a couple of dates coming up in in London on July the 4th and 5th, I think, at St. James's Church in Clerkenwell. So we'll be on in central London in July. We'll be on at the Keswick Convention, weeks one and three, um, in July, August as well. We're not running at the Edinburgh Festival because I just can't face it. And it's just, <laughs> let's, not, let's not get into that. And then Fine. we're touring the UK in September. And if you think that your church, maybe you go to a St. Thomas uh, church, yeah, and you think, you wouldn't go. it be great to host a performance of this show? Then if you contact me via the website or via the Facebook page as well, the Turbulent Priest on Facebook, um, then so we might be able to... churches, yeah. schools, yeah. children's birthday parties, well, mainly, anything? At the moment, just churches, because the schools version, I need to I need to write a whole new version for schools because okay. the play is actually an hour and three quarters, it's which a is a bit, a bit much for schools. And it's, then there needs to be a more... Uh, educational version for schools, I think. Um, so, had all the jokes. Well, uh, yeah, keep a couple of the songs, some of the jokes, but just compress some of the okay. some of the history a bit. Okay, um, but that's on. Great. All about that there. Great. Thank you so much for talking to us. Sounds fabulous. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, and hopefully speak to you again some other time. Yeah.